Church, what is up? Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Listen, we love you. I just want to say thank you for what you do for your family and what you do for us as a church family collectively. So thank you, moms. We wouldn't be here without you, literally. And we love you so much. So we just want to tell you today, this is your day and we celebrate you. Today, I'm happy to welcome Pastor Jeff Peterson back to our church to bring the Word of God and speak into our lives. I asked him to speak today because he's got a lifetime of wisdom that he's going to share with you. And it's our privilege to receive from an experienced pastor with incredible insight. I love how he always speaks with intellect and accuracy as he takes apart the Word of God and helps us understand how to apply, apply it to our lives. So let's just go ahead and welcome Pastor Jeff. Jeff Peterson right now to our stage and make him feel at home at Generation Church. Come on, help me welcome him. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. All right. Uh, happy Mother's Day, ladies. And uh, it's a privilege to be back here. Uh, I love this church. I uh, so appreciate Pastor Ryan and Amy. Don't you have awesome pastors, huh? And your whole staff. Uh, Aaron and Rachel and uh, just Randy and Dawn and all of them. You have a great team, a great staff, a great vision. And I get to sneak in here. I, I travel and speak quite a bit on weekends. And uh, I'll pop in a generation now and then. I just love hearing Pastor Ryan bring the word of God. And it's really an honor to be here. And on Mother's Day, what a privilege. i like for my wife to stand up real quick. Where are you at, honey? Are you on? The, which side are you on? Where are you, there she is. I'm sorry. Looking right over you. Uh, thanks to her, we have three girls. And I had very little to do with it. All right? But uh, love you, honey. And uh, I've got my two daughters here, my son-in-law, Caleb. It's just great to have all of them here. And uh, so good to be with you today. You know, um, ministry uh, of the Word, as pastors will do, um, typically on a weekly basis, those sermon series and things, they come to pastors in a variety of ways. Uh, I know Pastor Ryan is very diligent to study the Word and to prepare things. But there are certain messages and they're, for me, they're rather unusual to come this way, because when you're having your, your Devo time and spending time with God and His Word, you don't need to be planning sermons, all right, as a pastor. You need just to enjoy God's presence. But this morning's message is something that has come to me over about an eight-month period, going all the way back to last summer, and I just felt about a month ago, God kind of speak to my heart in the morning and say, you know, it's time that you take this and let some other people be blessed with what you're blessed with. So it's, it's, it's very new to me to bring to uh, the body of Christ, but I'm very excited to do it. And it's something that I'm living, I'm worshiping with, I'm trusting God with. How many know we have to walk by faith, right? Not by sight. So in difficult times and challenges. So that's the kind of, of message. I've lived what I'm about to bring to you, and I pray to really uh, bless your hearts today. So I want you to turn to the person to your left or right and just say these words. Say, God's got your back. All right? Go ahead. Just tell somebody that. Now, wait a minute. Half of you did that, all right? Now, we can close in prayer or else you can turn to your name. I'm just kidding. All right, turn to somebody and say, God's got your back. Encourage him, all right? God's got your back because he does. I've lived in Phoenix since 1984. I came out here at the age of 21. I'm a ripe age of 55 now. And I love the Valley of the Sun for about six and a half, seven years. Uh, we went back to Missouri. I call that the seven years of great tribulation. And now we're back, all right? So I love living in, in, in Phoenix. But I, I kind of purposed in two churches that we were a, a part of in ministry, I didn't like to commute. I wanted to be kind of within, you know, five, six, seven mile ra radius or something. And we're coming back, we had to survey the valley, and we chose to come back to the East Valley where we lived for uh, about 18 years. 
And uh, so we live in the East Valley, and I, go, I commute in on the 202. So about a month ago or so, I was coming back home at the end of the day, and uh, sooner or later, I, I know I'm going to hit traffic just the way I do in the morning. It's going to be coming back out. So if you kind of know the 202 East, I was around that bend right near a priest, kind of the priest area exit there, and getting kind of close to ASU on your right. And I came around that bend, and all of a sudden, I just saw the red lights. And here we go. It's break time. So, you know, whenever you, you hit that moment and your eyes probably going about maybe 45 or 50, there was a good amount of traffic, but we were flowing and all of a sudden, boom, there we were. And, and, and I, I'm looking in my rearview mirror and there's a young lady probably about the age of one of my daughters and, and I see her and, and we're kind of both pumping our brakes and you know, you're just wanting to land the plane well, you want to leave plenty of room, you don't want to get rear-ended, you know, the whole thing. And so we, we came to that stop and, and I had room in front of me and she had room in front of her and it was kind of one of those, okay, I'm relieved. And I'm looking in my rearview mirror just to make sure that she's with me and all of a sudden I see her body motion go like this. And I hear that, that sound. How many know that's the worst sound in the world? It's that 3,000 pounds into 3,000 pounds. I just heard that crunch, and oh, I just felt so bad for it. And, and, and in a split second, then I heard it happen again. And then I heard again. And then I heard a fourth time, and then we started to move on. So I'm moving on to get in trouble. You know, you're just wanting to move with the crowd. But I'm looking back, and I see her pounding her steering wheel and saying things I can't repeat in this service. Okay. <laughs> On a Sunday morning, especially on Mother's Day, all right? I just can't go there. But oh, my heart, I just felt so bad for her. And I realized it as I pulled away that that wasn't one, but that two to what three, that'd be five car pile up right behind me. How many know sometimes what happens behind you is as important as what's happening in front of you? And that's true in our spiritual life, and what I want to illustrate today. Now, this is Mother's Day, and so I, I, I never involve, I don't like sports, I never talk about sports, I don't involve it in my sermons. But just for our mothers today, uh, I figure, how many of you know in the NFL, whenever the camera pans, and that big old 350-pound lineman with blood and sweat just dropping down, and he's got his fingers all taped up, and he sees the camera, what does he say? Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. You better believe it. So I just want to be a good American and bring you a little bit of football on Mother's Day. Can I do that? And all the ladies say amen. amen. Wow. I love you. I love this church. I love this church. This illustrates our message. Stadium, the site of Super Bowl 43. In Super Bowl 43, the Redbirds were in the red zone, ready to take the lead at the end of the first half. I was pulling for Arizona. I mean, that game was over if they scored. I thought that game would have been over. 18 seconds left of the second quarter, first and goal, Arizona. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, we get some points on the board, something happens in the end of the half, this is a positive thing. Obviously, there's like nothing's gonna go the other direction. Kurt, just don't throw an interception. Just don't. Just do the right thing. Just play it safe. He kills the quarterback. That's his job. And all of a sudden, he drops back in coverage. Steelers show blitz. He throws the pass. It's gonna be picked up. James Harris is in. He's running up the sideline. 10, or the longest play in Super Bowl history, 100 yards. That was, to me, that's the game-winning play. Uh, I've never seen anything crazier than Harrison going house 100 yards. That guy's a monster. 
I mean, that, hey, Godzilla's my favorite. Oh no, James Harrison, oh no. bow our head in silence for a minute on that. We had Steeler fans in the early service. I kicked them out right now. They, they left right there. It felt so good. There were like 23 people that just had to leave right there. But doesn't it just break your heart? Huh? I'll never forget that moment. I'm, I'm a diehard Cardinals fan, and we were in a, in a house in Gilbert full of people, and when that happened, I mean, our hearts just sunk. And then they had to do the replay and the official ruling to make sure that he had broken the plane with the ball and all of that. And I remember standing there and kind of others had checked out, but I zeroed in and I watched, similar to that second take there, I watched what happened, not in front of James Harrison, but behind James Harrison. And I caught, just quickly, two of our fastest players on the Cardinals were in the end zone waiting for a pass. They took off, but initially, there were so many guys on the field, there's 22 men out there, and one guy with a ball, that there was just that crowd, and I'm sure they thought someone's just going to knock him out of bounds, and we're going to go in for halftime. And we lost seven points, rather than 14-point swing. And so, as that happened, they kind of lagged it a little bit, and all of a sudden, I saw the panic set in as he hit about the 25, 30-yard line. They, They take off, and it was too late then And no one's going to think James Harrison's going to go all the way 100 yards, and yet what happened in front of him was minute compared to what happened behind him. He didn't know that. He's just just going with the ball. He had a goal in mind. But behind him was block after block. NFL Films has a different take on it, but the language, well, I couldn't show it this morning, okay? So I had to go with this, but they just show arrows, and you're watching all these key blocks, and you know what? Harrison's the one that becomes the, the big victor, and everybody talks about him, but he never would have made it had it not been for what was happening behind him. How many of you have a goal to make it to heaven? You have a goal to serve Jesus. You have a goal. You know where you're going, and you know it is so important. Pastor Ryan is a visionary. You're blessed with a pastor. I know he's diligent, and he thinks about where you are today, the here and now, and he wants to get you into the promised land. He wants to bring as many people with him, but you know what? It is vitally important as well that we not only have vision in front of us, but we realize what is happening behind us. And that's where I want to encourage you today that God's got your back. So for months, I lived in a a very familiar psalm, Psalm 23. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths. The leading and the guiding. It's a picture of the, of the shepherd with his sheep, and he's moving with them, and he's out in front of us, and I love that. But then we come to the end, verse number six. It's a promise of Scripture. Say it with me today if you would. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, it's a promise of of God. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. The NLT says, pursue me. The Message Bible says, surely they will chase after me. The picture of God coming behind us. So he's leading in verse 2 and 3. Verse 6, he's coming behind us. You know, Scripture talks about us being surrounded by God. 
Scripture talks about him being our guide and our leader, but also he is the rear guard, which is a military term in the the scriptures. Isaiah twice mentioned that God will lead you and he will follow behind you. He'll be all around you in this journey. So I began to study that word follow, and I couldn't find it. Hebrew lexicons, commentaries, I, I was trying to dig it out. So finally, one day, about, oh, two months ago or so, I wrote Dr. Wade Nunley, a friend of mine back in Springfield, Missouri. And he is a brilliant man in the Hebrew, the Hebrew people, the Hebrew language, uh, Israel, the, 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 um, the land. And uh, he does tours all the day. He's just a brilliant, brilliant thinker. And he wrote me back immediately. And he said, Jeff, that word follow is only used in a military sense in the biblical Hebrew. He said that it's a picture as it was in Scripture and ancient armies we know, that when they had an army on the run, they would chase after them with the intent of overwhelming them, completely annihilating them. And so here is his translation of Psalm 23. He says what it means is that the mercy and the goodness of God will aggressively pursue me with the ultimate goal of overtaking me and completely overwhelming me every single day of my life. Wow. Wow. Can you say amen to that? Think about that. So I've worshiped to this now for, for months. And once I grabbed hold of that, then to take that and think, okay, God, I be, how many believe in the word of God? I mean, if we don't, why, do, why even be here this morning? We believe in God's word, and this is a promise of Scripture. The Lord is your shepherd, and verse number six, surely, with with assurance today, you can know that his goodness and his mercy is going to track you down, run after you, to overtake you and overwhelm you all the days of your life. We serve an amazing God today, don't we? Praise God. Now, there's a verse in the New Testament I'd like to look at. We'll get to our text in a moment. The verse of the New Testament is another one of those. It's like Psalm 23, only it's Romans 8, 28, and many of you probably have it memorized. It says that we know, we know there's a certainty, kind of like the Shirley, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, that's the most common translation. All things work together. Now, what are those things? Think about it. They're circumstances. They're problems. They're worries. They're good times or bad times. They're desert experiences and when, we, when we're just drinking freely and, and being refreshed by God. They're when things are on a high and things are on a low. We're on the mountaintop and we're in the valley. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now the NLT and the New American Standard said God causes all things to work together. The NIV 84 that I've used for, for almost my whole life, and I love that and, and memorized a lot of it, it says that we know that in all things God works. So all things are working, but other translations, God works all things, and in the Greek there, there is no word God. So you say, well, why would they insert that then? That's an error. Well, stop and think about the context. If you know Romans 8, you realize God is working through the whole chapter. So we believe God is working all things together. Or we could look at it this way. You tell me today, thinking of all the circumstances of your life, all the challenges, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, everything in your life, are those things just working together for your good because that's just what things do? Or is it that God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love him? See, it's much like creation today. Now, hopefully you're with me on this, but you know, there are some that just think things just collided. 
We just had matter hit matter and boom. Isn't it amazing what we have today? But we look around as I did early, early this morning before the sun's up. I'm sitting out there looking across the desert landscape as I did yesterday morning, about 4.30 in the morning. And I just said, I don't worship creation, but I worship the creator of the creation. And I marvel at how incredible it is. And I know this, God caused that to happen. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Hebrews 11, by faith, I believe that out of nothing, God made what has been made. And Colossians 1 and John chapter 1 and throughout the word of God, I worship God as the creator of this amazing, beautiful world that we live in. So it's that God caused that in the same way in our lives, that God takes all things and works them together for good. Ah, but there's a caveat here. Do those things come together? Are they things in your future? Are they things in your present? Or are they things in your past? I mean, just think for just a moment. In, in everything that happens in your life, is it predetermined? You're like just on a, you're, it's like a script and you're one of the actors in a play and every morning you get up and you're just living out a script and really you're like a kind of a robot and you don't have any choices to make in your day because you're just running according to a script that God, or could it be that you live your life in the sovereignty of God because he is a sovereign God, but who also gives us what's called in theology free will? You make choices. I make choices. People make choices that impact you. People make choices that impact me. And many times things we don't like. And we say, God, why? And we're frustrated. And life is this and life is that. And we wonder, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? Is the bottom line, could it be that in our lives what happens happens just the way God wants it? Or could it be that it happens within his sovereignty and that he allows free will? Some things happen and it's not really what God wants. But you know what? He has an amazing habit to come behind and clean up the mess of man. See, I'm telling you, the reason we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is because we are to invite the rule of God into our circumstances. The rule of God, the will of God. God, I don't understand what's going on, but I pray your will to be done here as it is there. I want your rule to be in my life here as it is there. I want you, King Jesus, to rule over this. And many times, it's a real mess. You know why? Because the choices of man really make this a messy place to live. And so we pray that. Because many times, God has to come from behind. And give his goodness and his mercy. Is he leading us? Of course he's leading us. But also, at times, he's coming behind us. And I believe God is many times taking things and having to work them out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, it's Mother's Day. So why don't we look at four scenarios in Scripture all involving moms? How would that be? Now, we're going to be here for three and a half hours. But it'll be a good three and a half hours. It's going to be awesome. I'm just kidding. Actually, I'm just going to touch on the three and then we'll get to the the real heart of it, and that would be the fourth one. The first one is a young lady named Tamar, and that may kind of ring a bell for some of you. I just read her story not long ago as I'm reading through the Bible each year. I read through Genesis, and there was Tamar, and, and, and the story is between Tamar and a guy named Judah. Now, Tamar's husband died, and Judah was her father-in-law. As custom was in that day, it would be that then the brother of the deceased would take her to be his wife. I know it's kind of creepy, but that way you would keep the, the, the family line going forward and, and, and they would perpetuate the name and the honor of that brother that died. But in the story of, of Judah and with, with Tamar, Tamar's brother-in-law did not want to do that. And God really judged him severely and he died. So now she's left alone. She's a widow. She's young. Where do I go from here, God? It was a horrible plight for any woman. And so her father-in-law, Judah, says, just stay in my house 
mourn and grieve as a widow, and someday then the little brother is going to grow up, and then he will take you to be his wife, etc., according to the customs. Well, years pass by. She's grieved as a widow in the family. She is waiting for that day. She wants to perpetuate the lineage and the history of her husband that died. And so the day comes and he doesn't take action. And she waits on the father-in-law. She waits on him and Judah doesn't do anything. Finally, Judah is of older age. His wife dies. Now he's gone through a period of grieving. And one day he's going to take a journey somewhere. And the Bible says that someone told Tamar about it. So she learns of that. She goes by the roadside, dresses up like a prostitute to solicit him. He comes by. He sees her. She's covered, doesn't know who she is. She's veiled. Apparently, she disguised her voice really well or something. But he propositions her, and she says, yes, what will you give me? He says, a goat. How many know goats are pretty valuable in those days, all right? So she'll get a goat out of it. Well, how will I know that you're going to deliver this goat to me? He says, well, here is my, my seal of my family and the staff from my hand, and gives it to her. And so she has that. Three months later, she is pregnant with twins. And so they go and they deliver the word to Judah. Your daughter-in-law is pregnant with twins. He says, she should be put to death. That woman is immoral then. And then she sends back the word. Well, bring him the staff and the seal and say, whoever owns these is the father of my child. Ended up being two children. Well, he says these words. She is more righteous than I am. He knows he's caught dead in the water right there. Now, let me just ask you this morning. If, If you were God... And how many of you know you're glad your neighbor is not God in this room, right? (laughs) But if you were God today, what would you do? How would you do a father-in-law with a daughter-in-law dressed up as a... He thinks he's he's soliciting with with, a prostitute. Think think about it. What are you going to do with a situation like that? Now we move along in the story of Scripture. Come to the book of Joshua. There's a woman that lives inside the wall of the city of Jericho. Jericho's the Canaanites. They are ungodly, immoral, crazy people. They don't know God at all, the Jehovah God of the Bible. But they've heard about him because the army is coming their way and the Israelites are on their way. And she hears a rap at the door one day, opens it up, and here are two men that are Israelites. Now, historically, we call Rahab a prostitute. But truthfully, in Scripture, she's an innkeeper. And and we really don't know, and you can Google it, don't do it now, but you can Google it later, that it's kind of fascinating that we've named her and dubbed her that, but there's nothing negative about her in Scripture. If anything, she was a very righteous woman in what she did. She hid those spies. They come to her. The leaders in the city say, we know you've got those two men here. She says, I don't know what you're talking about. They were here, but they've already gone on down the road. Who knows where? Maybe you can catch them in that direction. And they take off, you know, and then she goes up and says, okay, guys, I've heard about you and your God and your army And if you will preserve my family, then I'm going to protect you and guard you. And then when you come to take our city, please protect us. So they tell her, put a a little red, scarlet red thread out of the window of your house. And they will see that scarlet red thread and the army will protect that portion of the wall. They will destroy. We're going to take your city. God has given us the land, but we will preserve you. And they do that. Now she's a Canaanite. She doesn't know Jehovah God. What are you going to do? If you were God... And she's going to join the story of Israel. What are you going to do with a situation like that? And a woman like that? We'll go to the third woman. And this moves us on a few more centuries in Scripture. And this woman is doing what's called a ritualistic bath. And her name is Bathsheba. So it's really easy to remember her name. 
She was taking the bath. And there's all kinds of stories surrounding that. But when you peel it all back, bottom line is her king in authority over all, King David, is up in his palace and he sees her ritualistically bathing, which could mean she was fully clothed. We don't know for sure. A lot of story. Bottom line is this. When it all shakes out, the prophet says, David, you are the man. And he realizes he's the one, just like Judah, that says she's more righteous than I am. Well, what happened? Well, David called her up and they committed adultery. She sends back word about a month later. How many are sensing a pattern in scripture here, huh? She sends back word and says, I'm pregnant. What do we do now? He says, well, go get uh, her husband from the battle lines and bring him in. And so Uriah comes and, and he says, hey, you know, you're a great warrior and soldier. Go home and spend some time with your wife. How many of you know it's amazing how we'll try to cover our sins? He won't go. He's too righteous. He's got a man of integrity. And so he says, while my friends are out on the battlefield, I'm not about to go and hang out with my wife for a few days. So he refuses, and David tries for a couple days. Finally, sends him back then. And he sends word to his commander, says, put him out on the front lines, withdraw the army, and let them kill him then, the enemy. And they do. So Uriah really is a, he's a hero. Hero for the, the army of Israel in Scripture. So David now has committed adultery. He's now committed murder. And now, if, if, let me just say, if you were God... What would you do? Because Bathsheba becomes then one of his many wives, and, and the story goes on from there. So if, if you followed behind this mess, adultery, murder, the king, the armies, this woman, what would you do? Husband and wife, David and, and Bathsheba. Now we come to the story I really want to look at today. If you have your Bible or handheld, go to the book of Ruth, if you would. We have three women standing there. One is the mother. The other two are the daughter-in-laws. They have no, no children yet. And, and, and the women are very broken because the older woman, Naomi, she has lost now her husband. And both of the, her sons, which were the husbands of the two daughter-in-laws, both of them have died. So we have three widows, which in that day, as any of these stories, to be widowed was a, a horrific thing. And that day, even as it's hard for us today. And so they are standing there on a roadside, and, and 10 years earlier, the woman had gone with her husband and her two boys over to Moab. Moab is to the east of, of the Jordan River there, and, and the east of Israel, and, and southern Judah, Bethlehem, etc. And so they've gone there because there's a horrific famine in the land of Israel. So they go to Moab, they live there 10 years. Her husband dies, both of her sons marry, they both die. So now these three women stand in the road. Naomi says to them, just go on home. Go back to your people. I, I, can't, I can't have children. I can't raise two boys right now. That'll be your husband someday. But you can tell there's an amazing bond and love between the mother and the two daughter-in-laws. So Orpah leaves and goes back home. But Ruth says these words. Wherever you go, I'm going to go, Naomi. And where, whoever your God is will be my God. Your people will be my people. And where you die, I will die. She commits her life to Naomi in that road. So Naomi says, okay. And then she goes back to Bethlehem. They arrive at Bethlehem where she's from. She's been gone 10 years and life has been very hard. So the women in the city say, you know, what's up with Naomi? That doesn't even look like her. And Naomi says these words and, and, and note it four times what she says here. She says, call me Mara because the almighty, Mara means bitter. Call me bitter because the almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. We're talking four times in a couple of verses. She says, it's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. It's his fault, and I am empty. I am bitter. My life is horrible. Now, if you were God, what would you do with this? How would you come behind this mess? The Moabites were the arch enemies of, of Israel. I mean, for, for generations, centuries. So you've got a woman who's a Moabitess, and, and the Moabites were just evil, wicked people. They knew nothing about God. And here's this Ruth saying, hey, I'll even make your God my God. I'm going to follow you. And she does. So we pick up the story, if you want to look in chapter 2, and we see a phrase there that's interesting. Because it just so happens, oh, don't bring that up quite yet. It just so happened that a man by the name of Boaz is living in the community, and he's a distant relative of Naomi, as many would have been in that day. And it just so happened that when Ruth says, listen, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to go out and glean the field, the, har the uh, harvest of, of the barley crop coming in, and I'm going to go behind the workers, and I'll get whatever I can for us to just kind of eke out a living. I'll go behind. And it just so happened that Boaz said, hey, who's that woman over there? And she noted and asked his workers about her. Now, I say just so happened because chapter 2, verse 3, you may note it there. In the Hebrew, the word is this. It just so happened she chanced upon her chance. That's what the Hebrew means. She chanced upon her chance. How many know sometimes God is working in ways that we don't know? And that's what happened there. So Boaz says to the workers, they say, well, that's that girl that came. She's a daughter-in-law of Naomi. Remember Naomi? They left here 10 years ago. Now they're back. Elimelech is gone. Her sons both died. And so this daughter-in-law is really being kind and loyal to come. And they explain that. So Boaz takes a liking to her. His heart opens up to her. It's a love story. It's a beautiful four-chapter. It's a Mother's Day story, ladies. Read it. All of you read it sometime. So she, uh, he, he takes a liking, he gives her bread at noon, and they eat the wine vinegar get together, and then he tells the guys, hey, pull out uh, sheaves of, of, of some of the barley and drop them behind yourself so that she really takes home. And she took home that day 75 pounds of barley. And Naomi says, this is crazy, where'd you work today? And she says, well, it was the, the field of a guy by the name of Boaz. And Naomi says, oh, he is one of our kinsman redeemers. He's a kin that could really play well in our lives. Keep going to that field. He will take care of you. That's a good thing. And so they work all the barley harvest, the Bible tells us. Well, the story continues on. But let me mention two points right now. When the things in your life, say the word things with me. Things. We all have things. Good or bad. But when the things in your life don't seem to be working out so well, don't even consider that God isn't aware or that he doesn't care. No matter what you're facing. See, that's what we typically will do. Because we go through very difficult times. And the first thing we do is when things are good, we say God is good. Everything's good. God is with me. His presence, I mean, it's just everything's good. But when things go bad, we then begin to wonder if God is really a good God. And if he is, then he's forgotten you. He's not aware and he doesn't care. But meanwhile, when we read scripture, we realize God not only is aware and not only does he care, but he shows up. It's in his timing, which for a lot of us here is not our timing because we don't want to go through the stress. But God shows up. He showed up in prisons, fiery furnaces, dusty cisterns, places of captivity, Bloody battles, lion's dens, 
dry deserts, lonely caves, stormy seas, gravesides. God not only cared, he not only was aware, but he'd show up and he would help out. See, the darkest, amen, the darkest time in history, there was a man who hung on a cross 2,000 years ago, and he cried out, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was Jesus, son of God. He cries out using David's words, this this king, the author that we just read about a moment ago. He says, those words Jesus took into heart, and he prays those words from the cross. And we wonder, God, where were you? Can you imagine what was happening, the tension of that moment? But now we look back and realize God was not only aware, God not only cared, he was even right there. He showed up in Calvary, and three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and now the whole world is open to salvation through him. That's the serve God that we serve. So God shows up, and he showed up in Bethlehem. Let me just say today, wherever you find yourself right now today in the here and now, you happen to be at Generation Church. I'm so glad you're here. God knows where you're at. I don't care how long it's been, what your situation is. Trust God that all things work together for good to those that love him. So we move on a bit in the story, and we see a second point, and that is that when things in life don't seem to be working out so well, Don't even consider not being faithful. See, it's another trap we fall into. God doesn't care. He doesn't know. He's not showing up. Or then, well, I'm just not going to be faithful as I once was. I've seen this as a pastor for for over 30 years. I've watched people do this. When things are good, man, they're there. When things begin to digress. Now, I don't go to church like I once did. Not going to pray. Not going to read my Bible. And it's a struggle to do those things. It shows the turmoil going on in our hearts between us and God. It's like a tug of war. And I'm telling you, he's right there, but we struggle many times. It's easy to throw in the towel. Do you realize if Naomi and Ruth would have said, we're done, we quit. My life's bitter. You followed me here. We don't have any food. We have no way of sustenance. We have no way of life. If they would have done that, her chance could not have chanced upon what God was doing. But instead, Ruth went out and worked the fields diligently from that first day all the way through the barley harvest. So what does the story lead us to? Ruth keeps on working faithfully. Boaz is really a good guy to her faithfully. And then Naomi starts to believe again. And the embers of her heart begin to glow again. And she says, I do believe that maybe God's up to something here, Ruth. And one day she says, you need to dress a little differently. And I want you to go down to the, to the harvest there when they pulled in the last of the harvest and I want you to do something that you'll have to read it because it's really creepy and strange but it's scripture so many of you know the story culturally that's that's what you did but in that very moment Boaz makes a choice and he says I'm gonna take care of Naomi on behalf of my relative Elimelech who died and in that act she says Naomi I'm gonna take care of your land And I'm going to take Ruth to be my wife. And through Ruth, we're going to perpetuate your family line because both your sons are gone. But in the name of Elimelech, we're going to keep the lineage going. So for Naomi and Ruth, I mean, this they hit the jackpot. And it's an amazing love story. It's perfect for Mother's Day. But here's the amazing thing. Point number three. When things in your life don't seem to be working out so well, don't even consider that God is no longer working in your circumstances. I'm telling you today, God is faithful. Even at times that we go, God, where are you? What is going on? God's faithful. God's faithful. Chapter 4, verse 13, if you have your Bibles. And we're going to read the end and bring this all to a conclusion. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, 
and she became his wife. Now we have the Canaanite or the Moabite woman now with, with Boaz. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. There it is. May he become famous throughout Israel. That's Boaz, yes. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, Naomi, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better than you than seven sons, has given him birth. How many you know one woman can outdo seven guys once in a while? Huh? There it is in Scripture. Amazing. Come on, it's Mother's Day. Let's rejoice, ladies. Come on. Verse 16. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. So here's a grandmother holding the baby on her lap. Imagine the, the change of her fortune. So then the women living there, verse 17, said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, stop just a moment. That is the last word in the book, David. And it's the genealogy to David. It's one reason we have the book of Ruth. It lets us know how we get to David because the Bible is big on genealogies. They bore you to tears. But if you're a mom, you love genealogies, right? We get to David so we know how we got to Jesus Christ someday. So that's the marvel of this incredible book. But the writer stops and goes back and repeats genealogy. And he says, verse 18, this then is the family line of Perez. Who's Perez? This is the family line of Perez, the father of Hezron, the father of Ram, the father of Minadab, the father of Minadab, then the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the good guy, the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. So we get back to David. Why are those names important? Oh, don't you love the Bible? Because I want you to know that God comes behind messes and his goodness and his mercy follows you all the days of your life. I want you to know, no matter what situation you're in today, God, he just might be doing something so amazing for you and you need to worship him and trust him and hang on to his timing. I asked you earlier, if you were God, what would you do with Judah and Tamar? Father-in-law, daughter-in-law, prostitute, all this crazy stuff. She had two babies. One of them was named Perez. Perez. God took that mess, and in it he brought the lineage of David, the lineage of Jesus. Boaz. Boaz comes along, and he's this man. He's like in a white, on a white horse, you know, dressed in white, white hat, the whole thing. I mean, who is this guy? You know who he is? His mother lived inside the wall of a city named Jer Jericho. She was a Canaanite. And she trusted God. Those two men put out the cord. They saved her family. She went on to have a baby, and her baby's name was Boaz. And one day, then Boaz, Israelite father, Canaanite mother, one day a woman came onto his field, and he said, who's that woman? And they told, told him a story. And he said, you know, I have a heart for people that live outside the walls of a nation, and I want to let him come in. And so he brought in Ruth. He married Ruth. She became then the mother, I mean Rahab rather, became the mother of Boaz. And then we have Ruth, who of course became the mother then, or really the great-grandmother of David. So all of these stories, we have Perez, we have Boaz, we have Ruth, and then we come to the real zinger, the next generation. Then we have David then. We have David as, as Ruth is a great-grandmother. He becomes the most prized king in Israel's history. 
He has this affair. He kills the husband, takes the wife, all of that. And God comes along and says, you know what? Of all of your wives, David, by the way, I don't recommend that in your 2018 AD. All right. But he's got multiple wives. He's a king in that ancient day. And it, actually, it created the ruin for King David. Many of you know that story. But God chose to take the woman he had adultery with and that through them would come King Solomon, the next king in Israel, that would lead us all the way through to Jesus Christ. Friends, only God in his mercy can do things like that. See, I'd ask you today, what's in your story? What are things no one knows about but God, but you still at times feel guilty even though you've brought it to him for years and you'll still ask for forgiveness and Jesus died to forgive and erase that from your life and your memory. What are the things you look at today and you say, how can God take care of this mess? Look what he did for Judah and Tamar. Look what he did for uh, Rahab from Jericho. Look what he did then with Boaz for Naomi and for Ruth. Look what he did through King David and through Bathsheba. It's God a God of mercy. See, if you flipped over to the book of Matthew chapter 1, it starts with one of those long genealogies, and we read them and we're bored, but you got to realize Matthew caught on to this. And centuries later, he writes the book of Matthew, the story of Jesus, and four women are mentioned. He stops and he says, whose mother was Tamar, whose mother was Bathsheba, whose mother was Rahab. He lets us know, and I'm sure that he, when he read the book of Ruth, he knew what the writer was doing. The writer was pointing out how amazing God is, how good God is. So no matter what you're facing today, I want you to know, I want you to know, for we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him. And I'm convinced he does it in front of us, sovereignly. He also comes behind us. And what does he do? Surely his goodness and his mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you'll live in the house of the Lord forever. So you know what? Some of us, we run. God's chasing you. He keeps chasing you. And you just keep running and you know what's after you? Goodness and mercy. The covenant-keeping nature of God and the good quality of God. He's a good God. Why do we run from him? That's, we run whenever we say, well, he's not working any longer. He is. Be patient. Hold on. There. And in the end, you're going to look back one day and realize his goodness and his mercy caught up, overtook you, overwhelmed you, and you'll just worship him the same way Naomi did in the end of the story. That's what God wants to do for you today. So I'd ask you if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to close in just a moment, receive communion together, and Mother's Day will go on. But you know, right now is a moment. I want to ask how many are here that you say, Jeff, I'm going through a really difficult time. Uh, might be a season of your life. May just be a short time. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you feel like Naomi where you say, man, my life is so bitter. My life is broken. Don't call me by my name. And you're, and you're there. You say, it's been so hard. If you're in that condition all today, I want to invite you right now to just stand right where you're at, just to stand up. No one needs to know what's going on, but between you and God, just stand in his presence, would you? I'll give you a moment just to stand wherever you may be in this church this morning. But you say, I'm there, and I'm wondering, how is God going to work these things together? Anyone else? Just stand. Just stand. Now, Father, we pray for everyone standing. And God, we trust you to say somehow, surely, goodness and mercy is going to chase them and track them down all the days of their life. 
God, we trust you that somehow all things are going to work together for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purpose in their lives. So we wait upon you, but in that, as the heart of the Hebrew is in the Old Testament, our waiting carries with it hope that, God, you are going to work out all things. We worship you for that, and we pray that over every person standing here today, Lord, that you would touch their hearts. Right now, God, may they leave here, whether anything has changed or not, may they leave here that they have changed to trust you in their circumstances, we pray in Jesus' name. For surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we humbly worship you and say, Amen together. Amen.